Let's cut to the chase. The world of work is changing. There is no stopping that change. Welcome to the Better Work Project, brought to you by the team at SoftEd. I am your host, David Mantica, and joining me as co-host is Andy Cooper. In this podcast, we will explore the changing world of work, what the future of work means, how it affects businesses and workers alike, and how we can create more productive and engaged workplaces. I hope you join us for the ride. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back. Better Work Project. Here we are on episode 23. Episode 23 is about working in a global environment. Guess what? It's only going to be the three of us today. Just the three of us. We don't have a guest. And so some of you might just hang up right now and cancel because you like the guest. Some of you will stay on because you enjoy the three of us. So say hello, Andy. Say hello, Lauren. Lauren Hi, Lauren. everyone. What's up? What's down? What's under? What's going down, down under? <laughs> What's going on down under? <laughs> we're grateful that you know where we are. We're, we're actually left off maps a lot. Did you know that? It's kind of funny. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. Oh my God. You are not left off maps. We are. Yeah. Even the Smithsonian Museum left off the map. But aren't you on the Northern Hemisphere right near um, Greenland, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I've been having a lot of anger lately, you know, you know, talking about we're going to talk about working in global environments. So, Andy, how do you deal with anger at work as a Kiwi? You f- sit and fume and then you complain to other people and you don't talk directly to the person you're annoyed with. You vent to everybody else and then then it, it might then you might explode at some further point. <laughs> when you explode, do you what do you do? Do you throw things? Just yell? No, but you might you might um, use your keyboard aggressively, <laughs> not throwing Tur- it, but typing. Tersely worded email. Yeah. Um, well, now, now let's go to Lauren. I don't think I've ever seen you angry. What do you do when you're angry? That's not Be- true. Female you, Kiwi. You told me that I looked angry on a on a video call recently, and I just yeah, told you, you did. that you was, my, very, that was like, my concentration face. Yeah, you were like, mm, I can't do it because we're on podcast. I just didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> so do you get angry? Do I get angry? Probably get even more than get angry. Just just make it happen. Well, this is all important talking about global environment. You both you both know about the American. I'll just show it on my sleeve. Dave is sad and angry. You can see it because he's sad and angry. So I'm telling you, I got to seriously get some medicine for that. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting that we start, I have learned so much in the last year and a half working at SoftEd because of the intensity of the contact and the, and the monumental differences. And this podcast has been really cool as well for that. And so as we introduce this topic, I think all three of us are extremely strong in this, especially you two, because it's almost natural in your culture that you have to be strong in this. So I think that's going to be good. So as we focus in on how the two sides of the world has been different in this podcast, both the physical differences and, you know, literally the business differences as well, we've been able to see the issues and challenges facing the world of work from different angles. And I think that's part of this. And, and, and it's funny because software, we're such a small company, but we're a significant international footprint that it, it really draws us out more and more. And we certainly play this off with our banter. I mean, you guys passively aggressively trash me all the time, and it's funny as crap. There's nothing passive about it. <laughs> I know it's like it's like it's like like microaggressions. Is that what the, is that the word? No, it's full aggression. 
Yeah, that's right. There's nothing <laughs> passive about it. <laughs> but I also feel that that we show this in our, our in our thoughts and our opinions, our experience, and we're able to discuss in that banter the differences. And, and I think sometimes in fun conversation is you can really figure out the true reality within that. So be, either if you want to say something before we kind of get into this, Lauren, do you want to get a snapshot of of how you work and interact in the global global perspective before we get into this? Yeah, sure. I've worked in international companies for what the better part of a decade. And so, yeah, I've worked across lots of different markets, Europe, North America, Asia, Middle East, North Africa, Pacific, Australasia. And I've tended to work in roles which span multiple geographies at once. So I think it's kind of interesting when there are di different or sometimes multiple cultural differences in play and you see the differences in values. So I think one thing I've kind of learned around interacting with people from different cultures and different nationalities is you kind of need to get a handle on the undercurrent. So what are the unsaid things, the values, the beliefs, attitudes and norms? And then you get a bit of a, a better feel for what drives their thinking and I guess ultimately the behaviours. And then, Andy, your thoughts, your thoughts on what gives what now for what, give, what has given you your international snapshot, personal, professional and your experiences to date? Sure. Well, I've you know, but maybe a little bit older than Lauren. So I've been, yeah, just a bit, been working for global companies for actually over 25 years. Yeah. So that does make me very old or I was incredibly young when I started working for um, global companies. You can Go guess which one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So I've worked in that time, I've worked for three American companies in a row, Informix, Oracle and CA. And that was for about, you know, as I said, about 15 years, including I had a global role at CA leading marketing for Asia Pacific, which meant that I had to work with a global team, which gave me a pretty interesting world perspective, not to mention also having to represent 14 countries across Asia Pacific, which was a very interesting challenge as well. And, and since I've been at Softed, I've been managing a range of international opportunities and help establish businesses, including working in the US, Europe, um, Asia, obviously, where, which is what I now help manage, and in places like the Middle East, and more recently, we've been starting doing work in Africa as well. So it's given me a pretty, I suppose, interesting and uh, long experience of working globally. Yeah, absolutely. More so than most anybody could really talk about. It's pretty amazing. On my side, you know, I first say the states are so big and so diverse that having a national business experience footprint in the states gives you some type of cultural differences. The south operates differently than north. The north operates differently than the west. The Midwest operates differently as well. So there's this lot of dynamics that almost make the U.S. its own separate cultures and own separate countries in each one of the geographies. So, so I've been national all my career in the States, never have I had a job where I just focus on a single city. And then from there, my time at Global Knowledge, I spent a number of, um, number of years working with almost all the international countries in one way, shape, fashion, or form as a global product manager. And then a while out of that, and then back at a company called Fastlane, which had an international footprint and was dealing with a lot of international issues, but mostly on the European side and a little bit on the um, Asia side and then the Australian continent. And then finally here at SoftEd for the last year and a half where I've been the remote office into the, the national 
or the corporate office being international. And that's my first experience with that, which has been, you know, pretty interesting as well. So, you know, all three of us, it's, it seems like just have a lot of experience. And so the, the first question I have to ask on this, and do we somewhat perpetuate, you know, maybe the stereotypes when having a conversation like this, or is it important to have a conversation so you can better like this to have a better connection with the cultures you're working with? I think both of those things can be true at the same time. I think it's useful to have a conversation and, you know, kind of unpack where we're different and where we're similar, but understand that, you know, there are stereotypes at play and you don't want to kind of exacerbate those. Uh, Andy, what's your thought? Yeah, um, I think stereotypes can be helpful to help sort of at least prepare your mind or an interaction that, you know, things may be different, but you know, as everyone's different and sometimes those stereotypes are not accurate or relevant. And so, you know, I think as long as they can help you to prompt to, to ask honest questions and to be curious, to learn more, that that's how I look at it and not take those at face value because everyone's going to be different that you interact with and you've got to treat them how you find them and, and with some level of respect. You know, it's funny. I think you're both saying there's a fine line, right? And I see that too. Like one of the things I'm going to talk about a lot in this is when I was a young person working internationally, I got stuck in my colloquialisms and I, you know, I was trying to just be me. And so I was talking the way I normally talk, but that's not respectful if I don't understand the, the cultural norms of that culture on the other side. And, and this idea of a stereotype, like you said, Andy, it's, it's not that the, the concept of the stereotype isn't in itself bad. It's, how you use it and are you using a negative false stereotype or are you using it are you using something that you know about the culture and realizing that not everybody is like that so there's a lot of nuance here that we really have to be thinking about but my primary thought here is that in order to work globally you have to have an understanding that each culture is different and there are different expectations and different rules of engagement and different operations does that make sense to both of you yeah and, yeah. and some of those are very subtle differences as well. So having lived in the UK and in Australia previously, you can ex- sort of think because they, we speak English that mm-hmm. things are the same. However, having lived in both places, there are quite subtle but quite important differences that you learn over time and often the hard way. Yeah. And Lauren, what were you going to say about that? No, I just agree with what Andy's saying. I think you can start to make assumptions that people are similar because you have quite a lot of areas where you are similar. But there is there is that kind of nuance and there's that understanding that just because we might look the same, we don't necessarily behave the same. Yeah, I'll give you a great example of that is I spent six months working in Canada as an expatriate and people laugh. Well, Canada and the US are the same exact thing. They are not. And it's actually could be, in some cases, they're much more different than, say, a you know, some of the Mexican culture and versus the American culture as it relates to business. And as a young business person, I just kept working hard as a typical American work crazy hours. And I, I think there was a little bit level of lack of respect because of that, because I wasn't, you know, fitting in with the cultures, like I was setting the wrong example. And, you know, if I was more mature, I would have realized that, yeah, I might have needed to work those hours, but maybe working them at home, not staying all that time in the office to show a respect for the cultural environment of that culture, which is work is important, but but the balance is more important. 
Makes that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That was a really interesting experience. So let's let's jump into the questions then. So the first question is, you know, from your two's perspective, what's driving the increase in international business interaction? It's kind of nutty when you think about all the travel restrictions, but from my perspective, I'm just seeing lots more internationalization in our classes and selling to people and, and, and other things going on out there in the world. Mm. What's driving that? What do you guys think? Andy, what's your thoughts? I think, to, well, having, I suppose, worked in this environment for quite some time, as I explained, I think technology is really having a big impact. And I, and I think this last year when you know everyone's been forced to work largely from home, the technology has matured significantly. And not only is it matured, but also people are a lot more comfortable using it. And, and also, you know, that, that's been become the norm. So whereas before, I think there was a huge value placed around personal communication, personal interaction, meetings, and so on. I think that's diminished a bit. I'm not saying that it's gone away. I think people will always get have a better interaction in person. But I think now that technology, you know, has helped bridge that, you know, with a lot of other things that have come along since, you know, not only, you know, email was probably the first thing, but now we've got, you know, Zoom and we've got Teams or and Slack and all sorts of other things that help create a more frictionless communication and made it easier for us to, you know, communicate eat more easily on a global basis. That's one thing. I'm not saying it's all, but I certainly think that's that's made things uh, the, the the earth smaller in a way, brought us together closer. Bandwidth, bandwidth technology and software yeah. technology. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Laura, what's your thought on that? I think in a word, globalization. So for many businesses, the appeal of growth and the ability to scale means going international. So internationalization means you get to diversify your markets. That can be appealing from a risk mitigation perspective and I think it's also a way for more mature businesses experiencing market saturation to expand. It can also, uh, I guess, enable competitive advantage, greater economies of scale, access to a wider talent pool. The one thing I'd say, though, is globalization also means a growing interdependence, and we're seeing this play out in quite a lot of ways. I think a yeah. good example, you know, at the moment is the COVID vaccine. No, you're great points on both those sides. It's, it's, you know, and overlaying that would be imagine if we had one currency how much how much more globalization would have occurred and, and and what happened with the euro and the ability for that you know that continent to to grow and then the other would be you know basic rules and regulations of business operations you know basic insurance rules and maybe you know risk rules and potentially the whole thing with IFRS i mean adding that to that i do think the the pandemic just made it possible to go ahead and attack this without having to go face to face because you couldn't. And when that happened, the technology was there that made it easier than people thought. There are still these barriers that we talk about, cultural barriers, relationship barriers, financial accounting barriers, insurance risk barriers, but they're certainly not like they used to be because we all kind of just took that step into the dark and realized that technology can actually do it now. It's, it's pretty interesting. And for Lauren, like you said, all the reasons of making money and, and reducing just reducing what you have to do in your own place and taking your product to different markets. It makes total sense. But it's so opposite of what you think. You would think that, oh, no more international travel, then there's going to be a lot less globalization and the exact opposite occurred mm-hmm. and built on those underpinnings that we talked about. It's kind of neat, which means now this is what one of the things we have to talk about. If it's technology enabled, 
well, we, we all know that communication is three parts. It's, you know, your tone, your body language, and then the words that you say. And pre-conference, we were talking about this a little bit, but you lose a lot of that. Lauren, what did you say? It's like you become a little bit more paranoid because you just don't interact well. Not, you don't interact well, but it's harder to interact in this environment. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? You just miss a level of communication and that is, you know, those water cooler conversations and have an understanding. And I think that can be useful in providing context. So you're having more direct meetings, you know, you're getting a bit of Zoom fatigue and so in your own, your own little world or in your, your team's little world. So I, th- I think you can kind of miss the layers of communication and, and we've certainly experienced that. Yeah. Andy, what's your thought on that? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think they're now establishing that, I think that's called loose connections, you know, in terms of people that you don't necessarily have, you know, a lot, a lot of interaction with often other, the water cooler type conversations, but from, you know, from an actual social movement and from, you know, getting things done, those things actually are, you know, I think they're finding now are incredibly important in terms of helping to shape the culture of the organization and yeah. you know, help bring new ideas in. And I think that's the, the part that's that's sort of broken now in this COVID, you know, world somewhat. And I think, you know, that's the opportunity, I think, to figure out how to bring that in. Because I think, you know, also drawing on Lauren's point, you know, when we've moved to a lot of online meetings, a lot of them become very more, more clinical in that they're, you know, people have so many of them, they're just clipped, you know, they're, they're really just about the business of the business and a lot of the social interaction that that surrounds the people's sort of centric discussions get cut and then that creates i think a lot of, can lead to people feeling quite socially isolated which is obviously a you know quite a big societal problem this is interesting because it can go to a whole nother podcast which is the loss of humanity in the remote mm. environment so mm. it allows for faster more effective communication and things to happen where it couldn't happen before but what is the lost externality of that loss of humanity, right? What is your thoughts on that, Lauren? Do you agree with that? I think you can be intentional about it. So I think when we moved to work um, from home for a period, certainly with my team, we used to do a daily stand-up in the office together. We replicated that online, but we were intentional about having that social connection. So we made time for you know, checking in with each other, how was everyone doing before we got into the, the business of work. So I don't think you have to lose that. It's just, as Andy said, you have to kind of make time for it and prioritize it. Andy, and the, and the additional thoughts on the humanization side? Yeah, I think it is. It's it's in, it has to be intentional and it has to be valued. I think the the key is that a lot of people get saturated with too many meetings, and and that sort of is almost the root cause of a lot of this. Is how to you know cut back on a lot of that so that the you know it becomes more about quality than quantity. Okay, this is good stuff. Now we're going to go into mistakes. Now I'm going to use a practical soft ed example on the mistake side. <laughs> so we have a newsletter and the American did the newsletter first just recently. And Americans use a Z, Z's instead of S's. And then our Australian country manager, wonderful gentleman named Daniel, Daniel did it and he made a comment about the fact that he was using the right letter. And I need not me, but we had to shut down the Z's. So mistakes are made like that. And so as an American who's a remote person, should I try to spell using the language of the Kiwi and the Australian? Does that put me in a different spot? Does that make me look arrogant? I don't think so. And I think that's because, well, I'm wearing my Kiwi hat 
as I say this, but we're so used to it. We we can read either and we understand. Yeah, yeah but it just said you're so used to it. So does it kind of make you frustrated? No, no. not at all. No, it doesn't no. because we, if we respect your culture and you, then we shouldn't be worried about that. That's about being precious and to my mind, not actually – it's quite the opposite. It's not thinking globally. It's actually having a very insular view, which is, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. It's absolutely, mm. absolutely not right. Mm. This is interesting. It's, but it's, it, it, I hear your points, but, you know, as, as, the, as the remote office, maybe I should. No. I'm not saying I shouldn't or should. I'm just wondering. It's, these are the type of things you have to be thinking about. And what is the impression? Because we all know that initial repre- impressions around trust and competency you know, it can affect somebody's judgment about how they process what you're saying and whether they follow or, 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 or participate or engage. I think you'd be um, better served by learning about cricket, Dave. Ah! <laughs> All right, so first, the first mistakes. Let's talk about what are some of the common mistakes, simple mistakes that people make cross-culturally that they, they should really consider. Who wants to start? Well, I would just start with a, there's a couple of simple ones that, you know, I think, like not not understanding time zones and is one that often happens like yeah. you know inviting you to a mm. talk at 5am in the morning or you know at 8 or 9 <laughs> at night or some other time and not realizing that you know you might not be able to do that and i think that's a simple one that people who don't work globally don't think about i think also you know they're taking for granted that people speak english um, or speak it well and not yeah. take account of the, the fact that often in, in my world I'm dealing with people who are, who are speaking English as a second language and therefore we need to be um, mindful of that and in, in the speed at which we communicate. Especially New Zealanders tend to speak very quickly. So that can be a challenge for Americans, let alone for, for people who, are, who um, have English as a second language. I think that what you said about second language in English is so important. It angers me that people don't realize that you're talking to someone who knows two languages when your dumb butt only knows one. Yep. Mm, mm. It's like amazing. It still amazes me to this day. I'm like, I'm horrible with languages. I can, I don't speak English appropriately. So that's my only <laughs> language. And I do it extremely poorly as people who've listened to this podcast know. So, you know, I just, and yet, but people don't understand that. They just make it, take it for granted. So that's a great point, Andy. How about you, Lauren? What are some of the simpler ones that cross your mind or dumb ones that, oh, why are they yeah. doing that? I, I think the one that I see come up every place that I've worked is what I call um, playing the home advantage. So in any company, there's usually a head office, like the mm-hmm. mothership. And oftentimes businesses play to the advantage of the mothership at the expense of the satellite offices. And that can sort of start small, like having meetings consistently in a time zone that favours the head office to, to bigger issues. But I, I often see the time zone thing with meetings. That's interesting. And for me, it's all about colloquialisms. I mean, colloquialisms are, are, are simple things that you have to really think about. It's just natural to us to, for an American to maybe talk about baseball or use a baseball analogy or to talk mm. about American football and realizing they're talking to a culture that probably thinks baseball's dumb or football's dumb or not to mention then pop culture stuff. And there's just an assumption on the American side that everybody follows every American pop culture situation. So I think those are really real mistakes that people should not make and be very cognizant of keeping your examples tied to culture, the cultures you're working within or keep them tied to normal 
you know, normal examples that anybody would understand. Mm. And I had somebody, I remember my younger days at Global Knowledge, I remember having our, we had a gentleman by the name of Michael Glazer, who I t- still talk to, a great guy who's, you know, who was our J- Japanese emissary and Asia emissary. And he pointed a couple things out to me. He's like, Dave, you can't do that in that call. I'm like, oh my God, Michael, thank you so much for pointing that out. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even <laughs> think about it, you know? <laughs> it was like, it was really cool. And then, you know, the thornier ones, which we'll get into, relate to, you know, certain proper business etiquette, but we'll get into that later. So any other simple ones or not, we'll jump to Andy and let Andy tell us about some of his mistakes and some of the thornier issues. Yeah, well, there's a song that sort of, I'll see if you can pick what it is that you, that I would start with in this one. And, and that's, it starts with, and bad mistakes. I've made a few. Oh my gosh, she's singing. <laughs> I know the song. I made a few. Where is it? I know it. Oh my God, I can't remember. Kicked so. in my face, but I've come through. Queen. Queen, yeah. We are yeah. The so that was awesome. My, yeah, anyway, so um, okay. I have made a few, just a few. Uh, so good okay. example. So, <laughs> you know, I went, I was in Malaysia and... I was had a business meeting with a Muslim lady and I went and, you know, as you would do in a Western sort of sense, I went to shake her hand and it was like, no, 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 you don't, do not do that. Oh. I've also sat at the wrong seat in tables in China and Japan, which made people feel a bit, including me afterwards, embarrassed. Yeah, so I've basically made plenty of mistakes, especially early on when I was first took over my Asia Pacific role. And what came out of that was, um, having made a few mistakes, I, I sort of realized that I needed to make sure that I prepared a bit better. So I would make quite a big effort after that to to read up about the sort of more standard cultural norms. This sort of comes back to our earlier conversation around some yeah. stereotypes, but a little bit, hopefully a little bit broader than that. But I would then make sure that I spent quite a bit of time talking to my local host to try and get their guidance and, um, and advice before I uh, stepped into any further landmines or or issues. But sometimes, you know, that even all that preparation still, you know, you can still end up doing these things. And I think the key is to, you know, learn from it and recover gracefully. No, it's a great example. And what best experience? Best experience. Oh, yeah, I've, you know. That's been that's probably the highlight of working in a global, you know, in a global organizations and global roles is that I've had you know a lot of amazing experiences that I, and that I think I've grown as a person. So you know, I can think of you know being in Asia and you 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 have the whole food hospitality, which is incredible. You know, the amount of food that gets presented, the variety of food, and the way the care that goes into the selection of the food. And then there's the other sort of fun part of it. So you get, and when you go to like places like China, you know, the way you have your, your soup is you slurp it. So first that's quite, I found that quite amusing, but then I found it actually quite fun because I was able to go and slurp, you know, I was able to be like a child and, and get away with it. So that was quite cool. And then, you know, going and going to places like India and then doing sort of doing like a Bollywood type dancing, um, doing oh, cool. karaoke and career in Japan you know, going to the hotel in Japan, which, you know, which we're, uh, and having whiskey, you know, from the movie from Lost in Translation, yeah. going, to, 
going to Vegas, Viva Las Vegas, you know, I could go on and on. I mean, basically, I've been to a lot of places and had a lot of really interesting, fun experiences. That you know, and as I think they've definitely enriched my life from doing those. I mean, what we have to add a question at the end is as you start thinking about it, you probably have seen some common threads of humanity, regardless of the culture. And, you know, talking mm-hmm. through those and making people feel more comfortable that at the end of the day, ultimately, it's like point, point 0.5% of the population makes it worse for the 99.5. And we, we put these negative things in our mind. We realize that our, our humanity extends across all these cultures. It's just, and it's down your passion and just talking about that makes me feel that, you know, mm. all your excitement and talking about those experiences just had me fired up. It's like, wow, I want to get out of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that I really value is, you know, and I, is humor and, and I, and finding humor and, and learning, you know, how humor is such a human thing, but seeing how, you know, what people find funny and, and the shared experiences is also a big part of it as well. I can think of, you know, spending a lot of time with the, in these places and having a lot of fun and laughing a lot and learning what, you know, what, what is funny in, the, in different cultures to me has been incredibly interesting as well. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Lauren, your thoughts, worst experience, best experiences. Yeah, I guess um, at an individual level, it's a little bit like Andy, just for instance, in parts of Europe using the, the wrong name or in Asia, not knowing how to properly receive a business card to show respect. But yeah. I, I remember just a larger situation was when I was working for a company and we just acquired a large business in Canada and I was part of the acquisition team. And in New Zealand, head office had an open plan environment and, and essentially everyone was in that environment, including the CEO but it was the opposite in Canada. And so upon acquiring this business, there were discussions about how that setup was so archaic and how we'd bring them into line without more evolved thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it was really well-intentioned. They wanted better communication and collaboration, but it was a little arrogant. That's interesting. How about best experience? I think for me, it's, it's a lot like what Andy said. It's the opportunity to travel and it's the individual relationships that come from working in organizations that are multicultural. So in my previous role, we had a really big international team and that would mean, you know, one day your South African colleague is teaching you Afrikaans and the next your American colleague is bringing in pecan pie, you know. So it's learning about other cultures and I think also just learning to be more thoughtful and deliberate about communication styles. Andy was talking about Vegas and on a bit of a lighter note, I remember being um, at a conference just a couple of years back in the States and an American woman, she wanted to give me a hug just because I was a Kiwi and she loved <laughs> New Zealand. So yeah, that was, that was weird, but nice. <laughs> yeah. She did not quite understand that, that's <laughs> totally an American situation for sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, it's funny on my side, you know, again, this podcast is so wonderful because it's two experiences is that Americans typically don't have the international, you know, experience that, you know, the colonies, the British colonies do, or people from New Zealand or Australia do. And it's amazing. I remember first meeting up a Australian couple when I was at Global Knowledge in my early 20s and how just cultured and, and, and all the places they were at and all the understanding they had. And it just doesn't happen here. And I think that's, that's one of the first mistakes on a big level you know, Americans, we suffer from not having that. Now, what I will tell you, though, is that because we're kind of big and a lot of people that we do have cultural differences amongst the different 
you know, the different regions. And certainly there's a lot of mistakes. And one of them, I don't personally make this mistake, but I used to, was this mistake of a Northern person, you know, seeing a Southern person is not that intelligent and then, you know, talking down to them and then getting burnt from that. It's, it's funny how that happens a lot here in the States. But me personally, my, my worst mistakes were really about being aggressive, being too American, especially when dealing with the Europeans and articulating my ideals because I was so young as it relates to what works and what doesn't work. And especially in the training environment, not realizing or listening to you know, the other culture and their scenarios and how training is really sold at the local level, not the national level. And I could, you know, I look back and I cringe at just the feeling of how obnoxious I was probably sounding to those folks and how reduced amount of respect I got, not realizing it because of the way I acted. And that is typical for most Americans. I just don't think they think that way and don't process the information. Like Andy, what you said, preparing appropriately and, and, and being able to handle themselves better. So I think that's, I could have probably been, a, no, I know I would have been a lot more effective at Global if I had a better understanding of how to engage those cultures as we were coming, like you're saying, Lauren, the central office was coming in and trying to tell folks what to do. For my best experience by far was working in Canada and I learned so much. I call it my MBA experience. I was a young 28 year old. I was working up in Canada, running the Canadian department. I mean, it was just amazing, all the nuances, and it really tried to open my eyes to the fact that, hey, things are different, and they, and, and that's not a bad thing. So it, it was certainly a, such a powerful learning experience. And then, Andy, what I do from now on is I do my best to try to read up. I mean, before I started the job here at New Zealand and Australia, doing as much reading as I could about the culture and the, the work environment and things of that nature. So Yeah, and you, you know, you've ride. actually asked quite a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. To sort of and and so I can see that in you know your interactions that you were respectful of understanding and learning what's different. Oh, because I did it so badly. I mean, honestly, I would be a poster child for how to do it so badly, especially those three or four years when I was at Global, because I was so passionate, and enthusiastic, but I didn't realize you know all the stuff going on around me. I was just a moron, and the best way to say it, you know, an ignorant moron. And mm-hmm. and and so yeah, it's just <laughs> now I I try my best to okay. Am I overstepping my bounds? Am I, because I know that's ingrained in our business culture to be so aggressive and not to think about the other stuff because we just assume everybody's like us. Well, I mean, interestingly on that, I mean, we now know that to learn something, you have to make a mistake. That's the only way yeah. your brain will actually count it as being you. So unfortunately, it's, it's often through these mistakes that we, we, we learn. As long as we learn from them, then, oh, I would not have been able to do this job right now if it wasn't for that global knowledge experience. Absolutely, I would. You would like none. None of you would listen. Would have listened to me. You would have all gotten frustrated and pissed off with me. There's no doubt. But no doubt. <laughs> it's kind of, but that's so. How do you fix that? So, what's some of the training that could be done? What can someone do to prepare themselves? It, it, it's interesting. I mean, a few years ago, I was invited to to teach a whole bunch of secondary, you know, otherwise translating into your world, high school students. Yeah. about this exact topic so they was this was part of their nca international relations sort of topic and i was invited to talk to them about you know working in a global environment so at least now i think you know at a school level not everyone but some people are now starting to study and learn about this um, at a young age so that's one way i think travel is you know and a lot of new zealanders do that but travel is the is to me the the opportunity 
to experience and to grow. And obviously, at the moment, that's not possible with with the restrictions that COVID's created. But in time, we I hope that we'll get back to the point where, you know, that's the that's the opportunity and and the desire for a lot of people is to go and you know experience different places and learn new things you know i mean that's one way i mean obviously you can just if you're curious then you'll just you know you'll observe and watch through tv and movies and other things as well but i think travel is yeah, but, the, don't, forces, but don't the tv and movies actually spin it that you could get the wrong impressions right can do but i think you know again i think if you've got a curious mind then you're going to be looking for differences and maybe you know and see those but if you're if you're not then you won't but travel forces you to because you're in interacting in you know in a, in a completely different world and that forces you to learn a lot at a much faster rate than any other way yeah i i have to agree with you 100 i don't know if there's any possibility of forcing you know at the bachelor degree level for an american student to actually get international experience because it's only through that experience that because we just don't get it because we're just you can live your whole career here do very well just by traveling around the u.s lauren what's your thoughts how do you train on this what are some of the ways you could do it and why isn't it trained on yeah well i think just want to come back to your point earlier when you were talking about assimilating into a new environment i'd also just make the point that you don't want to lose what makes you you as well so you were saying before david that you know, you like to bring things forward. And actually, that's one of the things that we really value about you within the softed environment. So if you worry too much about that, and that then diminishes, we lose lose some of that kind of cognitive diversity. So I'll say yeah. that first. But in terms of preparation, all the things that Andy was saying, travel is really important. If you're working with a particular culture, try and do some homework on the cultural norms, ask your team what the main differences are in terms of their experience. And as we talked about earlier, just remember that your work culture might be a little bit different to the local culture. So don't assume that every difference is due to geographic location. And you can also ask those in other locations or different cultures how they want to communicate so you can work well together. Maybe even something like a social charter so you can set up your own norms might be useful. And lastly, I'd just say stay curious. That's the main thing. That's awesome. I thought that was some really good feedback. I mean, that's very, both of you had some very strong pragmatic feedback on this, which to me, the training aspect is so important is that how do you get some immersion time? How do you know the difference between it being a company culture thing and a, and a, and a cultural cultural thing, a difference in different country you're working within? Try to maintain some value in yourself and do it respectfully because you talked about the, the cognitive diversity aspect associated with that, which is so powerful for continued growth. And then Andy, you said at best is, okay, how do we learn right now when there is no travel? Yet it's being, it's, the globalization is happening faster without travel, yet the travel is part of what you get in, indoctrinated into it and see it and experience it on a human level more than just a bit and bite level that the video does. And so that that's going to be a thornier issue over time. And the answer isn't just to make us all more similar. Like I talked about, well, if we all have the same if we all have the same rules or if we all have the same currency, then it would be easier. Yeah, but that's not creative. That doesn't increase the, the, the great things that we could come up with. It's the differences that cause the creativity, as we talked about in many of these podcasts. So anything you want to add to that before we finish off with a little bit of fun? Yeah, there's a couple of little points that I forgot to add in, which are, again, I think more recent things, but I think things that I've certainly valued. So there are other 
other opportunities now to, to get to learn before you go. And th- those include, in our case, New Zealand, you know, SoftEd has a strong relationship with the um, NZTE, which, of course, David, you're familiar with. And they have advisors all around the world. So you can take advantage of, of those people to help you educate you on the local culture and business practices. So that's one thing. But there's often community associations as well that are made up of expats. So you can find out from those people. There's a big organization called KIA, uh, Kiwis, Kiwi Expats Abroad, that where people, New Zealanders living abroad, it's a community where you can use that community to help get introductions or get education on places you haven't been to. And people are very helpful and very kind, as in my experience around that as well, because they understand how difficult it is when you're new. So those are things now that I think that I definitely t- value and I think are things that I think, you know, you could take advantage of. Man, fantastic. Any last thoughts before we go to the fun round? Lauren, your side? No, go for it. Fun round. All right, so a bit of fun. No quick fix round or quick fire round this time around. We are going to have just talk a little bit about the two sides, on the New Zealand side and the U.S. side. And we're going to say, you know, what have been some of the interesting differences and similarities that we have seen, keeping it real, keeping it honest, between New Zealand and the U.S. over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, you get to start first. Okay. So I think what I've sort of tried to distill it down to uh, is that there's probably, a, and this is a generalization like everything, but but I would suggest yep. that I've seen a, a, a starker individual versus collective mindset, you know, in between America and New Zealand and Americans and New Zealand. And by that, I mean, and I think this, you know, there's a whole bunch of factors that underpin this, the history, the culture of, you know, you know, in terms of, so New Zealand is obviously, you know, bicultural. So we've got a, you know, a, a strong Maori sort of influence and Maori was definitely a, a collective culture. And I think that's, that sort of un, has, has some bearing. And I think also, you know, over, you know, the, the, the European side of that as well has also inherited some, somewhat of that. Whereas I would see in America through the constitution and through just the history of, you know, of America that it, People have become, you know, a bit more individual oriented, and I think also just that the communication is is quite different as well. So New Zealanders are not nearly as direct as Americans. But again, I'm not saying that's a good thing or bad thing. I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses. So New Zealanders will probably be a little bit more conservative in how we say things, but then we we are definitely more passive aggressive. Americans are, tend to be often more direct and in their communication. You know, those are generalizations, but they're sort of things that I would. Yeah, it's been interesting for me, that's for sure. And when you talk, I mean, you certainly hit the American thing from my perspective, being American right in the head. Uh, how about you, LG? What's your thoughts? Ah. Yeah, I, I would have said the same thing as Andy, really just that focus on the collective versus the individual, openness to conflict and being direct. Lack of leave. <laughs> we laugh about this give me my PTO I want some yeah. PTO <laughs> that's right and I think and this might be just our US team but I really admire the drive of Americans I think Kiwis are really hard working but I find Americans really hungry really competitive you want to win no participation trophies right Dave 
<laughs> no participation trophies. No way. Yeah. You're in but it yeah. to win it. <laughs> what have you oh. noticed? Oh, I love that part of it, though. But now the re- re- opposite for me. I mean, the first thing is the aha moment that Australia is to, I mean, New Zealand is to Australia like Canada is to the U.S. When I learned that, I was like, oh, my gosh. I did not realize a level of competition, angstiness between New Zealand and Australia. Never knew that. And it was just been awesome to learn that and see that and and feel that and be a part of that and then decide which side of the fence I'm on, which is kind Have of Have you fun. decided? Kiwi, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a Kiwi. I'm a yeah, good man. Because I've learned over time I've become that way because here's the thing that happened to me. Everything you said about America is right. But the moment I got into soft dead, started seeing the the Kiwi concept of, of the collective, the Kiwi concept of taking care of the people. It's so much different than the U.S., so much different. And, and I ran a U.S. business, sold a U.S. business, built one. And so I, it was like, wow. So that has been really interesting. But on the downside, the passive aggressive thing drives me absolutely crazy. Oh, tell me about that. This is funny. Drives me absolutely. Just tell me you don't <laughs> like me. I'm used to that. I, I'm obnoxious. Tell me I'm obnoxious. I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. You don't like what I'm saying? Tell me you don't like what I'm saying. Please, please, please do that for me. So that has been the most, because I can't figure out things. I can't figure out what direction to go into, adjustments that which may be, because I know now it's all about influence. It's like, hmm. what frustrates me about my experience at Global Knowledge is I was not influential because I was an idiot. I was, wasn't fitting in with the people. I wasn't working with the cultures appropriately. I wasn't communicating appropriately. So I wasn't influential. So if I want to be influential, I want to know that I'm doing the things that make me influential. So as you both know, I ask a lot of questions. Was that okay? Did I go too far? Because I just want to make sure. But yeah, that drives me absolutely bonkers. Mm. It's contradictory too, because we love how polite our culture is, and yet there's undertones of being passive aggressive, and there's the dry sense of humor. So. <laughs> oh, the dry sense! You two—that's the funnest thing about the banter. You're pings at me. I'm like, I'm like the big bull in the tribe. <laughs> and you two are just zinging me with these dry little zingers, especially freaking Cooper. I mean, Andy just. <laughs> Like, Damn boy! <laughs> humor tasers. I love it. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, you, I told you I sort of collect humor, so that's that's my sort of. So I'm sort of saving away these little things that I can zip back. <laughs> I think it's so funny that that's the fun part again for the banter for me is that is that and I embrace that. And it's fun. I don't mind it. It makes me it makes me laugh. But I will say, yeah, this has been so far in a lot of cases. Some of the most challenging part of my work career, but also some of the most rewarding because of some of these things. And I have to constantly remind myself that, yeah, some things are challenging, but you know, there's no there's no company in America that treats their people. I don't think so. Like a New Zealand company treats their people. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I think no one one of the little difference that I was that I forgot to say was that I think Americans. This is a general experience as well. Are, are, are somewhat more respectful to their bosses i'll put it that way oh yeah, yeah we are oh yes it's we like are people are very you know, differential yeah. you know and you hear people talking about yes sir you know and all sorts of language that sort of mm. you know comes from a real point of res- what i think is respect and I'm, I'm, again i think this is not a bad thing it, it it's di- a clear difference i think new zealanders are and australians and and i think people and i've sort of tried to sort of understand why but i think there is actually a, a quite a, a clear why mm. and, and that is because 
our, you know, I think there's partly cultural, but also our, our legislative work practices protect our rights a lot more. And I think so there's... Yes, in, that's America, exactly right. In America, yes. there's a lot of fear of, you know, if I say something that my boss doesn't like, I'll get fired. And you can't here. I mean, that might still happen, but it takes a lot harder. It's much harder to do. So I think that is actually a big factor in, in why there is that big difference, that differential respect that is not actually um, real. It's more, I don't want to say what my boss doesn't want to hear. Well, it goes back to Lauren's comment about the person who wants to hug her. An American is so individualistic. If we find someone we love, we want to hang out with them. We want to hug them. We want to be a, but groups, we don't trust institutions. We don't trust mm. groups. You know, we don't like groups that don't like us or don't think like us. So that individualism goes back to, we don't trust the boss. We don't trust the institution. So we're going to do the yes, sir, no, sir, because we don't trust it where we trust our, our, ourselves and our capabilities. And I, Annie, I'm the first one to tell you, it's exactly how I operate. I'm very uncomfortable with authority. And it's ingrained in my, you know, American isms because of that, because I don't trust authority. So I do have a tendency to look like I respect authority more where it's the exact opposite. I don't trust it. So I don't say what I should be saying. Yeah, exactly. I think that is actually the, that's been my experience as well. It's, but it's it's not the outward appearance. It's very much inward thinking and outward appearance is quite different. Yes. It's funny. That's a, you, you hit that one right on the head. It's a very interesting dichotomy that you wouldn't think is happening, but does happen because of our, because of Americans basic distrust for institutions and the associated I more than the we. I've, I've noticed a attachment to role title as well. And I don't know if it oh, yeah. plays out in hierarchy, but I, it's about I, like I got there. I got mm. to that role. I got to that hierarchy. I did that. Mm -hmm. Me ownership. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's why we were doomed from the very beginning in the pandemic because you know we just don't collectivize well. <laughs> it's kind of fun in some ways. It's interesting. <laughs> but any last words before we close out? We've had a lot of cool things to say. Hopefully, a lot of great things that people got value out of. And just the three of us it was kind of fun. Just the three of us. We can <laughs> I enjoyed the singing. Yeah, so yeah, enjoyed the singing. Sing. Yes. Do yeah, don't ask me to. No, Why no not? one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that well, I told you I had to do a few karaoke in my time not saying they did them well but that certainly got, got used to it So <laughs> beautiful alright with that thank you all we're going to jump on to episode 24 in the next couple days please join us for that and like, rate, like, review us and tell us, tell everybody how great we are and for that have a great one thank you thank you for joining us on this edition of the Better Work Project if you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have specific suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Continue to fight the good fight. We'll see you next time on the Better Work Project. Thank you.